late night talk show. But our city of Hall, that's her, used to have this thing we say, things that make you go. Yeah, see, y'all know what I'm talking about, a bunch of party animals. <laughs> Man, but there's sometimes, I wish I had my own talk show, Robbie, because there'd be sometimes I'd say, things that make you go. Mm. Like, there's just some things that make you go. Not, mm, but, mm. Like, when I walk past Golden Corral, mm, I just shake my head. When Mrs. Dan Abercrombie brought all that food for the worship team this morning, things that make you just go, mm, right? Almost an out-of-body experience where like the spirit and the flesh connect at a deep level with cheese and sausage. And if you didn't eat this morning, well, that's your fault. So I'm just saying, gosh. But then that worship, for me, was just, you, you just nailed it. All about the resurrection. All about God is able. All about God is able because the word resurrection is not even of this world. It's an otherworldly statement. It's not something that anybody that can claim. Nobody can claim a resurrection. Nobody. People can be. I was with a guy down at NUSC. The dude had been dead, from my understanding, like 45 minutes in a truck. Like he is hard locked up for 45 minutes. And they, I mean, so I don't want to hear about, well, after so many minutes, you know, you're brain dead, all that other stuff. If that's the case, why are all these people waking up afterwards? I mean, sometimes when we say statistics say this, well, sometimes they're outliers. Hmm. And so I was in the MQC, I was in there in the ICU with him, and they were giving him drugs because his, his mind was, they trying to give his body rest, his mom was trying to catch up what just happened because they don't even know how long he had been dead in the truck. And so I'm there with him, and he was hallucinating terribly. And I'm sitting there, watch this. And you know, there are people that have been brought back from death into life. But let me just tell you something. There's never anybody that's been raised to the dead, raised from the dead, who didn't die again except for Jesus Christ. Hmm? Am I telling somebody something today? No? Okay. So we'll just go there. Matt, now let's go look in the Bible there. Matthew chapter 22. There's only one who's been resurrected. And if that Jesus Christ is resurrected, then it speaks to us right now. And I'm not talking about you and I sitting here waiting to die. That's not the God that we follow, somebody just waiting to die. Matthew chapter 22. This is one of the passages that I love. Man, I used to wrestle with it. When I first got married, I was like, I don't know if I like this passage. But then I realized that God was speaking of something greater than my natural eyes. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 30. Let's just, Lord, open our eyes. Let our ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The same day, some Sadducees, Sadducees were only these group of leaders that held to the first five books of the Bible. They did not hold to the oral Torah, which was the oral five books. They, they held to them loosely in some ways. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in demons. They didn't believe in any of that stuff. Same day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came up to him and questioned him. Now, this is just a couple days before Jesus goes to the cross. Teacher Moses said, if a man dies 
having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, they're quoting Deuteronomy 25 verse 5 and loosely in Genesis 38, I believe verse 8. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to trap Jesus because they do not believe in the resurrection. And they were talking about the Levitical priests and the Levitical priests were supposed to, if the, if the husband dies, the brother is supposed to marry to keep the name going. So they try to put him in a conundrum, quandary. Now there were seven brothers among us. First got married and died, having no offspring. He left his wife to his brother, verse 26. The same happened to the second also, and the third, and so to all seven. Then last of all, the woman died. Now here's the question. In the resurrection, now notice they don't believe in the resurrection. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will she be of the seven? For they all had married her. Jesus answered them, You are deceived because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Let me read that again because that's just a slap in the face. You are deceived because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Let's pray. Lord, you're going to have to open our eyes to see deep, wonderful things because this passage, when we first read it, we go, what? What happens if I got a couple wives? What happens if this has happened? What if I was going through the divorce? What happens, Lord, about this situation or that situation or all this stuff? What happens? So, Lord, I pray you would show us the truth and the truth would set us free. So I ask you to forgive me, Lord. I ask that you honor your name and yourself today. So just as John the Baptist says that he prophesied about himself, that he would decrease in John chapter 3, so that you will increase, Lord, I pray, I pray that we would see Jesus. That your Holy Spirit would move. Now I'm not come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit of power. Lord, please forgive us. Thank you for forgiving us. We acknowledge your greatness. We love you. We know that you're going to do something to speak to us. That we will dance, as the song said, Amanda Cook said, we will dance in despair. Because God is with us. And with the Spirit of the living God inside us, there's nothing that we don't face or that we can face, or that we will face, where Jesus is not Lord. So we hope in you today. We love and trust you. And all of Wild Summit said what?
Yeah, I knew this for a while. So here is the idea. Let me just break it down for you. Here's, I want to just give you two quick points. It's on Summit Church Facebook, the notes, you can see it. But let me just let me just lay some stuff out for you today. Here's, here's one quick point I want you to wrap your mind around. Is that misinterpreting the Bible can lead to false theology. Misinterpreting the Bible can lead to false theology. That is heresy. Look there with me in verse 23. The same day some Sadducees who said there's no resurrection. You've heard this joke all through school, especially if you grew up in vacation Bible school. That's why they were sad, you see, because of no resurrection. Here we see them ask Jesus a question about a passage of the Levites. And so here's what's interesting. He, he, they ask him this passage, and then Jesus comes back in verse 29. Verse 29, Jesus answers them. He says, you are deceived. The word deceived there in Greek literally means to cause to wonder. It means to get off course, running to a place of error. It means they're so far off course. It's like this. It's the Greek word where we get the word planet, which means wandering body. In, in other words, Jesus, when he said you're deceived, he said, y'all are so far off. You're like a planet that's wandering outside of its domain. You're just spinning and you're going nowhere and you offer nothing. That's what he's saying, deceive. And people who misinterpret the Bible have false theology and false theology causes people to wander off into dark places that lead them to despair so when circumstances come against them they have no answer and circumstances rule that here's a prime example of that uh, if you look at the doctrine of name it claim it or prosperity gospel and those things that following jesus Things will go well. Listen, that's not true. John the Baptist followed Jesus and he was beheaded. The Bible says the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. You say, well then John, what's the point of following God if things go, go well? Well, there's two problems with that question. Number one, the question presupposes I'm in a place of idolatry. If I ask God this, what's the purpose of me following you if it's not going to help me, then I'm the center of the universe, not God. He's not obligated to answer that. But number two is this. That's pre-assuming that things, that, that God cannot overrule or fix things that are around. So here, bad theology, false theology is dangerous and the world has it out there. And he doesn't just leave them saying they're deceived. He tells them why they're deceived. This is what I love about Jesus. Like he doesn't leave any doubt. He leaves no doubt. He looked there in verse 29. He says, you're deceived because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. That word know there, the word know, literally means it reads that you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. So if you want to circle that on your line, make a note on your phone, whatever it is, the word know means to appreciate. They don't have an appreciation of Jesus as the Son of God. They only see him as a teacher, and they see him as a false teacher, and they're trying to trap him because they do not believe what he's saying. Therefore, they don't appreciate him. And that's what the world sees Jesus as. He's just a false teacher. Yet, yeah, he's got some good characteristics. He teaches that love your neighbor as yourself. And then maybe I've heard, maybe a Hebrew kind of presuppose, love your neighbors. I have loved you. I've given up your life for those type of people. But that's like, that's like good stuff, but that's not enough for me to put my life 
life and surrender my life to the name and person of Jesus so they don't appreciate him. And so what happens because they don't appreciate him, God has allowed them to stay captive. Matthew 13, 15 says it like this. You don't have to turn there. But he says this, for this people, for this people's hearts have become calloused. See, when people don't appreciate, in other words, don't see Jesus as Lord, he allows that callous to go there. They can hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. They don't see the miracles of Jesus. They don't see, listen, if people that don't believe in Jesus, they close their eyes to the transforming power. Look at all of us in this room. Those that are saved in this room, we've had the transforming power of Jesus Christ change our life. Transform. We once were this way, and now we're this way, right? Because God has begun to do a work in us because of his presence. It's his presence in us that does the work. It is God with us in us right now. And one day we will fully be in his presence so there will be nothing left of us and all of him. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand them with their hearts and turn and I will heal them. But he says their hearts are calloused. And that's where the Sadducees were. The Sadducees were in a place of calloused. So they try to treat Jesus and say, man, listen, you believe there's a resurrection? <laughs> Let me use a little bit of Old Testament Torah on you. Try to, let's, let's, let's try to trap you. So they try to trap Jesus with a question. They say, listen, the man's got a wife. He's a Levite. He's a priest. And she, and he dies. So he's got brothers. And so she marries the brother because she's following Deuteronomy 25. By the way, it's not for everybody. It's only for Levitical priests. Deuteronomy 18 says you can't do this. But, but, but for the Levitical priest, it's to raise up a name. Think about it. The, the, the brother is supposed to marry his, his, his brother's wife, have sex with her, Hopefully she gets pregnant, have a child, and the child is to be named after the brother. The deceased brother. The child is supposed to take on his name. If the idea of that person who died, his name is to continue. And so she goes through seven brothers. And they all die. And then she dies, and then they cynically say, well, when you're in heaven, Who's going to be the husband? Let me break it down for you. So my father in 2005, he died. Y'all know this bone cancer, multiple myeloma. So my mother remarries. So when my mother remarries, she asked me to officiate the wedding. Right, is anybody tracking me? That's a weird place. Because I don't want somebody else sleeping with my mom. I'll go on this side. Maybe y'all can understand. Maybe y'all tracking me? Like, who are you, bro? <laughs> my affections are with my father. Like, I don't know about you. I mean, you can marry as long as you don't get in the same bed with her. I'm all right for that. Companionship is okay, but lover, no, no, no. Hit the road. <laughs> so, like, my family was talking to me. Man, you going to do that? You going to do that? Like, how you going to do that? How you going to marry? How you, like, you feel right about that? I, my wife's talking to me about it. I'm going, I just, I feel like I'm kind of betraying my dad. Is anybody, can I just get real with you this morning? Like, I felt like I was betraying my father. I let it be known that my allegiance is with my father, not with my stepfather. He's probably going to hear this, by the way, when they put this online, so it might be a family war, but, you know, 
hey, I got to tell the truth, shame the devil. Then they don't love him. It's just a different dynamic. And so what do I do? Do I officiate the wedding? Well, you know, I go to the Word of God. Why? Because if God says so, who am I? You smell what the rock is cooking. So I like so I just said, okay, what does the word of God say? Well, his wife, uh, she went to be with Jesus. She had had uh, uh, dementia and other things, and she went to be with Jesus, from my understanding, nine years ago. And and so my father, who was a great man of God, went to be with the Lord. And the Bible clearly says, clearly says that they are free to remarry. And so when I was challenged by some people saying, Are you really gonna do that? Like, isn't that a sense of betrayal? I said, Let me just tell you something. In my, in my flesh, do I want to do it? Nope. But if God has said, I'll go over here. If God has said they can, then who am I to say they can't? See, I'm speaking from a place of selfishness. If I say, Mom, you can't, that's only from a place of selfishness. It's not a place from Bible. It's not a place from God's Word. <laughs> All right, so now let's fast forward a little bit. So she gets married. I'm sitting there, it's kind of awkward watching kids, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm having to police them as lovers now. She's my mother, like, hey, you know, we don't do that on first date. <laughs> so we don't know what I'm talking about. So anyway, it's really weird. Mom, stop touching. Anyway, no, you know, it's like, hey, separate, separate. So, uh, so I, you know, what's going to happen in heaven? So, would you, I mean, I know my father's in heaven. He's one of the most awesome men of God I've ever met. Dude never cussed a day in his life. Hannah Montana said, what? How do you not cuss? That's like a prerequisite for living on earth. How's that happen? So anyway, so they're in heaven. Like, who's going to be to me like, here's my dad, and here's my stepfather, like, my mom, like, choose his day. Today I'm with him, and his mansion, and next week I'm with him. See, that's, that's just a, that's an issue that the enemy watches. I'm just going to tell you straight up. Gosh, I gotta, this is so good. Let me just go, let's just go keep on verse 20. I'll go ahead and give you the answers up front, and then we'll work through it. Let's just work through the answers so you can talk about your sales. Verse 30. For in the resurrection, they will need the what, saints? I didn't hear you, but about five. They will need the what? Nor be given to what? Uh, you say, well, that's a bummer. I thought we were married, and we are married forever in God's eyes, and we're going to be in heaven, and we just made It's a lovey-dovey feeling when I'm with you. Y'all don't even know about that song. So, use it for your wedding, all right? Use it for your wedding. Don't go with death leopard and pour some sugar on me. That's not the... That's... <laughs> some of y'all don't even know the ages. You just got to appreciate it. So, I said... You know, what's he saying here? This is the beauty of Jesus. In the resurrection, if I think that I love Lynette now, mm -hmm, and I do, but if I think that I love her now, can you imagine? Listen, by the way, let me just say something. If you're not a believer in this room, uh, that's why Christians are supposed to have the best marriages. Come on, somebody. Because when you have the love of Christ, when you have the love of a sacrificial God who came to earth, who died for us, then the same God, the spirit that was in him, is in 
with us and allows us the motivation and the power to sacrifice to love somebody when they can't love us so we can give unconditional love when somebody doesn't get the conditions. Mm -hmm. So see, see, Christian love ought to be better than any type of love because Christian love is the one that doesn't have any conditions because Jesus Christ is the one that gives us the ability to love so we can overcome any kind of, overcome any kind of false love out there. So don't think of greatest love. So it's only by the Spirit of God can I love my wife unconditionally, which it really, really let's just throw another shoe, shoe on the other foot. Really, she's loving me unconditionally because I've failed any conditions. Right? And so she's beating me. She's loving me unconditionally with a sacrificial love that only the Spirit of God can give her. But she only has the Spirit of God in her in a limited way right now. Only I have the Spirit of God within me in a limited way. What do you mean by that, John? That sounds almost borderline heretical. What I mean by that is, is that when we get to heaven, I don't have the partial presence of the Trinity. I have the full presence of the Trinity. And the Bible says in 1 John that God is what? Come on, somebody. God is what? Love. So if I'm in the full presence of love, can you imagine the power to love Lynette the way that I should love her? That's the love. If you think you love somebody now, oh, oh, do you? Whoo, Come on now. It's like the difference between driving by a golden corral and pulling up a chair and sitting there with a ladle in front of you. You know. It's the, I mean, that doesn't even compare. I would be able to love Lynette with a greater sacrificial love. You see, but John, it says neither marriage nor giving to marriage. Because the idea on earth, one of the ideas of marriage is to procreate, is to create offspring. Listen, I got, I'm sorry we're not doing Disney today. I'm sorry if you feel a little uncomfortable today. But I'm just going to go ahead and be real. Listen, now I just want you to know, the reason why it says we will be like angels is because angels don't have sex. Y'all are just like giving me evil looks today. Craig Blomberg. I, I, was, I was reading it over there. It's, I, I mean, it's one, of, one of our great commentators. Craig Blomberg is one of the greatest Greek scholars we have in Matthew. And even he makes that statement. You said, but John, I don't know about that. I Genesis chapter 6 where the sons of God came down and had sex with women, those type of things. Ah! What you're trying to argue is that an angel and a human. But I'm now arguing Two resurrected bodies that have been totally changed. We won't be like this in some ways. Be totally changed. Let me show you. The point is of this passage. Here's the second point and the final point. The point of this passage is this. The point is if God, and I'm going to use Piper on this, if God is our God, we must be raised. That is the whole point of this, the resurrection. The resurrection brings courage because it's going to erase doubt. And the way that it erases doubt is that we will be raised. Listen, I'll show you this. Go back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. The same day some Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came up to him and questioned him. Verse 24, teacher Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and what saints? I didn't hear and what? Raise up. The whole purpose of the, the, the God's brother having sex with his sister-in-law 
is so that she'll be pregnant, have a child, a boy that will be named in his name. In other words, the whole purpose of Deuteronomy 25, verse 5, is so that the person's name will continually live. That the person's name will live forever. That the name would never be blotted out. So if God is our God, the question is, will we be raised? That's the purpose of the question. It's the purpose of the passage. It's not to deal with the second tier issue of marriage, which I've already dealt with. And to tell you, if you think you love somebody now, can you imagine what you're going to love them like in heaven? You will love your spouse or loved ones greater than you've ever loved them. And it won't come with a sexual love. It'll come with a fulfillment love that only God can give you. And you'll be closer then than you are now. But our bodies will be transformed to where that won't be the issue of how we look like for procreation. It will be how we look like to give God glorification. Oh, come on, somebody. That was good. How will your name live forever? We can be a great baseball player, so we just like live forever in the houses of Stratford. What? How is it going to live forever? So if there is a resurrection, how are we to be raised? I want to say, what does it mean to be raised? Here's what it means. Ready? Number one, there is a cause. Look there in verse 24. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up an offspring for his brother. They don't believe it, but guess what? They're asking the question. The word raise there, it means to stand again. It means to cause to exist. That's what it means. It means that God will cause us to stand. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I'm trying to get to. The resurrection is not just a, a, a place that we get to, it's a place that we experience right now. You see, when we sin in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, you will die. And at the moment that they sin, their spiritual, their spirit within them, which is what connects with God, died. It died. There was a separation. For the wages of sin is there was a separation. There was a spiritual death at that moment. And then we're going to see in Genesis 3, we're going to see where God's going to kick them out of the place where there was community, the Garden of Eden. We go into Genesis 4. And at the end of Genesis 4, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because there was a spiritual death. Now here's what's interesting. When you have a spiritual death, it leads to the next step, which is physical. Hey, spirit in Hebrew. Come on, you Hebrew people. Rook. Rook, which means spirit, wind, or breath. When your spirit leaves your body, you die. Spiritual death always leads to a physical death. I'll put it this way. Let me break it down for y'all. Y'all ready, y'all? Relationships and looking for relationships all in love. Love one another. You know why people break up? It's because instead of Jesus being the sinner, they become the center of their relationship. And the last of my check, God won't have any idols. 
and he will let you relate. Listen, God's not going to step in and go, oh, you two are just focusing on you and not me. Boom! Good! No, he's not going to do that. What he's going to do is he's going to do this. God's a gentleman. So he backs away from you because you back away from him. And he turns around and he says, you want your relationship to be your all in all, be it all in all, in your relationship, you live and move and have your being? He said, go ahead and have it. Next thing you know, you're fighting one another, driving each other nuts, and all of a sudden the tipping scale gets this way to where you just argue so much and so frustrated with each other so much, you start looking at each other saying, mm, you don't even look good anymore. God just lets you destroy it. He just lets it happen. Now he's there the whole time waiting to fix it, but most people don't want to turn the call on it. So it's idolatry in the relationship. See, spiritual death always leads to physical. So here's what happens in this passage. We're going to be raised up. We are going to be raised up. And the question is, who will be the cause? That was what they were asking in verse 24. He says this, and marry his wife and raise up. That Greek word is a future. I'm not trying to get too technical, but it's a future indicative word. It's a future. In other words, what they're asking is, who in the future will cause this person name to be raised up and live? I want to say this to you today, that Jesus Christ comes to us and he can raise your marriage, he can raise your job, he can raise your future, he can raise your finance, he can raise your degree, he can raise anything up right now. He's not waiting for you to die to show he's God. He wants to show he's God now. But you got to be ready for it. It's, listen, he's raising us up. He's, that's otherworldly language, a resurrection. Listen, there's no other, there's no other. First of all, Christianity is a relationship, not religion. That's why it's hated. That's why it's outcast. You can talk about anything else but Jesus. You can talk about anybody else, any other religion except Jesus. And what have Christians done, by the way? Love. Oh, and they were part of the crusades. Listen, I teach church history. You really want to go there with me? I will lay this mic down. <laughs> I'm very nice to people in class. I could set them up for failure and just show how much I've read more than them, but I don't. Because I don't just want them to see Jesus. But if you want to talk about crusades, I'll bust out some other religions on YouTube. So my point being, half the people that were doing the crusades, they were just using the name of Jesus. They weren't even Jesus' followers. Sounds like some people in some churches today. So there has to be a cause. So the reason why, what does it mean to be raised? There's a cause. His name is Jesus. He will be the one to do it. And by the way, second, it is for us now. How do we know it is for us now? 1 Corinthians 15, this is where it gets good. Here we go, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says this. How do we know that the resurrection is for us now and not just when we die? Because he's put the Holy Spirit within us, saints. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 1, we have, Ephesians 1, we are sealed, we are sealed, Ephesians 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption, I mean we are sealed, the Holy Spirit's within us now, that means the part of the Trinity, we have the presence of God with us now, that's why Jesus said, it's good for me to go away, so the Spirit will come and be with everybody, and he will permanently stay within you, and so as the Spirit of God is within us, he can overcome any situation, as the song said, we dance in despair. Because whatever comes our way, Jesus is still bigger. See, I believe that. I believe he's bigger than death. That's why I can dance in the middle of the spirit at funerals. That's why I can dance in the middle of the 
go wrong. Because in the end, Jesus wins. And I'm going to live that way now. And not only is he going to have me go through, he's going to see me through. And the Bible says in Romans 8, we're more than conquerors. 1 Corinthians 15, 13. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Oh, by the way, God says it one time, but then if he says something twice, do you think we should listen? So he says something in verse 13 one time, but go to verse 16. Look there in verse 16, look what he says. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Within there, within a couple verses, he says the same things twice, which means this, that resurrection is the centerpiece of Christian doctrine. It is the centerpiece. And since the resurrection has happened, God wants us to live resurrected lives now. Yes, our spirit, when we are saved and we surrender, God captivates us. And now the presence of the spirit lives within us. When we are saved, there's a spiritual resurrection that overcomes our mind, that overcomes our emotions, and that overcomes our will over our physical bodies. That whatever happens, God will be glorified in and through us because there's a spiritual life. And where there's a spiritual life, there's going to be a physical Mm -hmm. Because if there's a spiritual death, there comes a physical death. If there's a spiritual life, there will always be a physical life. God. Why is eternal life so powerful? I, I just, sometimes I wonder if people know what they're saying. Wow, I just can't wait for him. Okay, that's good. But why do you Well, I can't wait to see all my loved ones and everything like that. And, uh, you know, I'm tracking you like, man, yeah, it's weird. I'd love to hear some. You know, people that have gone with the Lord, I'd love to be able to communicate with them. But you know why heaven is so powerful? It's not because there's streets of gold, you got a big mansion, you got all this stuff, and probably the best donuts ever, and you're never going to stretch more. I mean, that's beautiful enough. But you know what's beautiful about that? If I'm enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit, Are y'all tracking that? If I'm enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit here, what will it be like in the fullness of the Trinity's presence there? That's why heaven is beautiful, because we're in the fullness of God. That's what heaven is about. His presence. It overcomes us. It overcomes. Why is it so powerful? Because where eternal life is the full presence of God. That is why it's powerful. And then here's the, 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 the last thing I want to point to this. This is why the resurrection is so powerful. This is where I want to land this plane. If God is raising us up now by raising our spirits up, then the resurrection means things don't diminish. I'm going to borrow two words from Piper. Diminish and flourish. When the resurrection takes place in our lives, two things happen. One, we don't diminish. And two, we flourish. Mm -hmm. Y'all ain't believing me. Y'all not believing me. That's, that's big time. Because see where the Spirit of God is? Listen, do you think the presence of God comes inside somebody to diminish? Do you think the presence of God comes inside us and all of a sudden he begins to diminish? Do you think God wants a, his presence being Robbie and Robbie to write less songs? No, it should, his presence should flourish to where Robbie writes more. Where things happen in our lives where there's more. 
where there's more of him and 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 less of us and less of us and less of us and the next thing you know you turn around and when you humble yourself in front of the Lord God will raise you up all of a sudden you're in places you don't even know you have because the Bible says when God gives you a gift he will bring you in front of great men you will not serve in front of just regular people oh no God's going to put you in places where he can be glorified and magnified or if he can take apostles they can't do hardly anything right and put them in front of the chief priests and shame them. How much more can he do with me? See, the presence, the resurrection is so strong because right now the presence of God causes us to flourish. His presence never diminishes. But here's where the rub is. I know where you're going. I, I got it because I feel it. I feel it. What he's saying there is, Don Piper would say, I cannot be, it, it cannot be that you diminish if I am your God. Your life will be a, grow, a growing and flourishing experience, Robbie. It should be if the presence of God is primary. Listen to what he says. For I am your God. I do not diminish what is mine. God, listen, when God's presence is there, things don't go down. They always get better. I make it better. Forever and ever. Do you think in heaven for one second we're going to be born? All of eternity. Do you know every second is if there will be time. But every second in eternity we will be learning something new and experiencing something new and such a power and revelatory with all of our senses just fascinated and fixed on God that our minds will be utterly blown. That can you imagine it's going to take all eternity for us to even know one speck about God? When God's presence is alive, marriages flourish. When God's presence is alive, listen, people get healed. When God's presence is alive, forgiveness takes place. When God's presence is alive, bitter roots are destroyed. When God's presence is alive, chains are broken. When God's presence is alive, people are made new. Come on, somebody. I know I'm talking to you. When God's presence is alive, you can't stay the same. I love you, brother. You keep talking to me. I might do a laugh. I love you. Can you be my brother? Can we adopt? Can I, get, can I be a part of your family? I, I don't have much, but I got a lot of kids. All right, so we'll eat. I just love you. I just want to tell you that publicly. Get me going. Woo! I need another energy drink. C4. I'm kidding. Alright, so Romans 8 11. Romans 8 11, this word here. And, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, oh, come on, look at this, will also give your what saints? That's right, your mortal bodies, because his spirit lives in you. The spirit of God is alive. In us, and the more we let the Spirit live, and the less we really care about our ideas and dreams and everything else living, then the more we will flourish and experience Him. Let that sit. The reason why sometimes we don't flourish is because it's more about my ideas and my dreams, and my desires, and my life, than his life, and I'm trying to hold on to them like this, and I'm trying to make them work, and manipulate them to work, and try to make relationships work, and just work, 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 jumble, 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 to keep everything afloat, instead of just sitting at the feet of one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands. 
We don't grow and flourish because of us. We grow and flourish because God's Spirit lives in us. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. This is what flourishing looks like. Oh, this is good. So it is, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Mm, come on. So it is with the resurrection. This is what happens when God moves into a dead relationship, a dead marriage, a dead dream, a dead life, a dead future. I'm too old. I don't have this. I don't have that. Uh, when you say I don't have, what you're saying is death language. I don't have this. I don't have that. That's death language, Robbie. That's nothing but death language. But let me tell you, I might not have this, but I have the one who has all this. All right, so let me just look at this one. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, I sin. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor. How many times have I dishonored myself by lying, by cheating, by stealing? How many times have I dishonored my family? How many times have I dishonored my parents? How many times have I dishonored my leaders and bosses? How many times have I dishonored you and failed you as a pastor? How many times have I been dishonored? But when the Spirit of God lives in me, though I might have dishonor, it says that I will be raised in glory. So in a natural body. But I got to, who am I going to be married to? Because I'm just going to be having eternal sex. Being like an angel. Remember, angels in heaven are not multiplying. They're not in heaven having sex. So in the natural body, raise the spiritual body. That's the resurrection. You might have sown in your marriage a natural body, but let me tell you something. God will transform you, and when your wife thinks that you're crazy, the Holy Spirit will make you hot. I say that all the time. And I'm living proof. That's why my wife loves me. You look at her, and I mean, if people say she looks like Jennifer Aniston, I've been telling people I look like Brad Pitt. They might just cuss at me. So I know the Holy Spirit's alive in me. Because only the Holy Spirit can blind people's eyes. Paul. So with y'all, here's the application problem. You ready to play with me? You ready? Because this is it. We got to land this today. Everybody's hungry. Because I'm hungry. Uh, I know y'all are. I know some of y'all. Wow. That's all we can do to campaign ourselves one hour a week. Nobody go crazy. Robbie, this is what they're going to say. Well, John, I'm not flourishing. I'm diminishing. I've had some bad things happen in my life, and so I'm diminishing. So if you talk about the resurrection and Jesus is alive with me, then why are things diminishing? Mm, come on. That's where people are going to go, right? Mm, somebody got sick. This relationship broke up. Uh, this job went away. Uh, this, uh, this, I'm, not, I'm not making the grades for this degree program. I'm, I don't even know what to do with my life. I'm just, well, should I go here? Should I, I'm just struggling. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. This is a, I'm diminishing. I'm just holding on by just a thread. I'm just holding on. My life is diminishing. My life is diminishing. And my life it just seems like it's diminishing. Well, one, let me just say this. First of all, God prunes those to produce more fruit. But let's set that to the side, John 15, 1 through 5. Let's just kind of set that aside, right? He's going to prune so we produce more fruit. But let's set that to the side. So what happens in the midst when life is diminishing and we doubt? I want to give you permission today, by the way, 
to doubt. What? You giving me permission to doubt? Yep. <laughs> Give you permission to doubt. Well, John, you better back that up. Yeah, I'm going to try. <laughs> Listen, people are going to doubt, and we're going to doubt. And I just want to tell you what destroys doubt, what answers doubt, is the doctrine of the resurrection. Let me just break it down for you. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 2, 1 through 5. Just turn there if you don't mind. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, 2 through 5. John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, is like my hero in a lot of ways. One, he didn't dress nice, which means I don't have to dress nice. That's why I wear the same clothes every Sunday and don't make fun of me. Okay? Number, number two, he doubted. So I'm doubting. Verse two, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. Where was John saints? In what? He was in prison. This is John the Baptist. This is John when he was a baby in his mother's womb. When Mary walked in and said she was pregnant, he started doing backflips and swimming in the fluid. Somebody said, wow. <laughs> I mean, you can read it in the Bible, but that's what he did. He flipped so much his own mother even noticed. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, that is Jesus, he sent his disciples. By the way, the Bible by Matthew 11 is already calling Jesus the Messiah. I love when people say, well, the Bible didn't say he's the Messiah. Well, right here. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist is doubting. Now you would say, John, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is so big. Listen, in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, when John the Baptist was baptized, what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? He said, look, the Lamb of who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb, and yet here, when he's in prison, because he spoke against Herod, marrying his brother's wife, <laughs> brother's wife, and going to die. He's like, I follow the Lord's call. And my life has diminished. But remember, John the Baptist prophetically spoke in John 3 when his disciples were leaving him and going to Jesus. He said, I must decrease so that he might. So in a time of diminishing, in a time where his life was not flourishing, he doubted. Is he the Messiah or is there someone else? Jesus replied, listen to the resurrection language. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. Resurrection. The lame walk. Resurrection. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The dead hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Resurrection language. The answer for doubt is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I promise you, if Christ is not raised, we will never be raised. It is the answer for every doubt in our lives. The resurrection is the answer. 
Fulfillment of prophecy answers doubt. Fight doubt with what the Word of God says. He said, go back and look. The blind receive sight. The lepers are healed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the gospel is preached to the poor. In other words, Jesus was fulfilling the promises of God. It was the word of God that he said, stand on the word of God and know that in the midst of your situation, you will flourish. And though John was beheaded and prisoned as a nobody, we look to him today because he is somebody because of the resurrection. So where you are today might be nothing to the world, but in God's eyes, you might affect thousands for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not doubt where God has you. Just hang on. He will show up. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, whoever is doubting, that they'll come and just spend some time with Jesus. Lord, if there's a doubt in their life about where I should go, what I should do, a relationship that's happened, where I should go in my future, God will get them out of their seat right now, and they'll come and pray right now. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray to you right now that you would, in the midst of our doubt, show yourself strong. Lord, you are good. You are good. And we doubt, Lord. We doubt, do you have anything better? Somebody walks out. Do you have anything better? A job changes. Do you have anything better? God, I'm in a place of diminishing. Do you have anything better? God, I don't feel like I'm flourishing. You know, do you have anything better? Lord, I'm doubting. And you say, stand on my word. Stand on my word. That's how you answer. That is how you answer John the Baptist. In the middle of his doubt, you said, look and see what I've done. And what I have done means I am who I am. Today, Lord, you will rescue your people. And I doubt you, Lord. I confess. I get mad at you, Lord. I get mad when circumstances don't go well because I feel like I'm out here proclaiming your name, living for your name, suffering for your name, and can I just get a little love? And what you do, Lord, is remind me in this passage Though the world might reject me, my God never has. And if you don't reject me, then what I'm going through will be used by you to bring many people to the gospel. You didn't say, John the Baptist, you're a sinner. John the Baptist, you're going to burn in hell. John the Baptist, you're weak and wimpy. You didn't say any of that. You didn't say any of that. You said, look at who I am. Look at what I've done. And then, Lord, you praised John the Baptist. You said in verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And then you gave us a promise, and I'm praying for all the people kneeling right now. This is the promise in Matthew 11. Verse 11, you said, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. That's what you said. You said in the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist because of the resurrection. So God, I pray that you give Robbie words, you give the band words, and you give them just the ideas on what to do. God, I pray that they would sing and play with the voice of angels and that you would prophetically change this whole place 
When we doubt, I don't believe in sin. When we doubt, it's an opportunity for you to show yourself strong. And then he praised John encouraged Lord, if we're not in a place of doubt today, we will be in that place. When something is broken and our world seems to diminish and not flourish, we doubt. But the resurrection brings courage because it erases doubt. Lord, I just want to pray over my brothers and sisters. Seasons of doubt will come, but the resurrection stands forever. And so we stand on the promises. Literally, maybe some of us today might need to throw our Bibles on the ground and put our feet on it and stand on it. I don't, I don't think that's a sin, Lord. I think it's just saying I'm standing on the word. I'm standing on the promises. I'm believing that God, you are good. His glory surrounds us. His fire is falling as we sing. And the Savior is for us. And His love is victorious and revival is rising in His name. Bless you. We thank you, baby. Move my little Robbie.